Hello and welcome to Good Sex, Bad Sex. This is a podcast from metro.co.uk. It's a bit like sober sex, mm. but we're drier. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, that makes me cross my little legs. Um, oh, my name is Phoebe Lynch. I'm Miranda Kane. And today we're going to be speaking with Jessica Everett, who is the host of a podcast called The Devil's Guide to Sobriety. Mm. <laughs> I I know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Jessica Everett and I am the host of the Devil's Guide to Sobriety podcast. Jess, where are you? It's my last day of college today. So I'm in a pokey little library on Pelham Street. (laughs) Last day ever? Yeah. So I literally did my last presentation earlier today and then I start my psychology and counselling degree later this year, which is pretty exciting. That's amazing. Yeah, so I mean, I so I've worked in Lust. I think that's how I met you through Calandra, isn't it? So. Yeah, so Lust is a great. So there's Lust and there's Taboo. Uh, great. Um, it's it's called them a sex shop. Is is that is that enough? Because they're amazing places. Well, they kind of so they've got the two shops. So Taboo's the more X-rated. That's got a license. So blacked out windows kind of vibe. And I work at Lust, which is kind of the lighter. We've got like gift stuff. But it's more kind of it's a bit flirtier than Taboo. Taboo's very. <laughs> you know some people it's a bit intimidating whereas lust is a lot more open and we try and keep it light so that we feel like you know people can come in and talk to us about stuff in a way Miranda and I are the lust and taboo of um of the sex business (laughs) which is so weird because I would have called us the sooty and sweep which is I mean we've both got our hands up our asses amazing um, so last time we were in Brighton so yeah so you were so you how does that connect with your psychology degree so I've worked in a well, managed last for a number of years I actually got the job when I was 16 which is a bit naughty mm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I've worked for the last 10 years you know I've done hospitality I've done a few different things and basically the best part of working in the sex shop is talking to people you know people are at their most vulnerable when they're coming in and they're talking about subjects which are really difficult especially you know I get a lot of women in who'll talk about post-trauma or bad relationships or couples who really just once you start talking to them they open up to you on a completely different level and I realized that that was the part of my job which I enjoyed the most. Did that surprise you because like I would have thought that that in a sex shop the that would be the last place that people would start um wanting to open up about things I think it's like any situation if you go in heavy on someone and start making them feel uncomfortable but we don't do that at last you know we sort of we we try and speak to the customer try and guide them in the right direction and you just find through just making yourself approachable which I think in the job you have to be and just letting people look around giving them some time maybe checking in on them they tend to yeah open up so much so so much and and that's the because of course there are there are online companies where you can buy sex toys and, and you know anything else you want to buy, but the joy of going to a place like Lust and, and Taboo is 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 the one on one, isn't it? Is is that extra element? That's what you know, because so many people say that you know there's so many different competitors now, but you don't know what you're getting. You can't ask for advice. You know the amount of stuff that people order online, which then they get home and they might be like, oh, that's not quite what I wanted, or. You know, maybe I should, yeah, I should have had some help with that. And that's where you get the service that you do in Lust and Taboo. And 
you know, we've got a lot of training. I've got a lot of training behind my back. Is that a nice way to say I've got a lot of sex toys? <laughs> That's basically what I said. <laughs> oh, she's such an expert. <laughs> but it's, just... Yeah, I mean, it's not a job for everyone. You know, there are difficult moments like any job, but I just, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think being in a position where I feel like I can really help women. And, you know, I've had certain people come back to the shop or even call in or send messages and be like, you're, you know, there was a member of staff, they recommended me something or gave me some advice about something and it's changed my life or changed my marriage. Wow. And that for me, yeah, it kind of makes all the weird, gross perverts that I get coming and trying to find my <laughs> shoes kind of makes it a little bit more. Don't call Miranda that. She is here. I'm so I sorry, only, I only did it the once. You know, Just you once. try and buy one pair of shoes and look yeah. what happened. I knew I recognised you. From <laughs> so, so, so the psychology, so I love this. So you kind of got it from doing us. And, and is that tied in with the podcast then? How does that connect? Does it? Yeah, so it does in a way. I think... I started the podcast. So I did a project last year with another girl. And I think I actually spoke to you then about it when you were doing some of the radio stuff you were doing. And basically, the reason I thought... Award-winning radio stuff, please. Of course, Just I'm get so it. sorry. How could I forget? Thank you, Jess. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> but we started this sobriety podcast and it was very sort of pro sobriety and like look you know the girl who I was doing the work with she was very much like look we're sober look how great everything is and I really wanted once the project ended I wanted to give a much more real representation of what it's actually like and for me personally sex is so entwined in what I was doing when I was using and drinking it was a massive part of that you know I felt like alcohol and drugs were like Viagra to be honest and I was, I just, there's that inner deviant part of me that still lives there. Like she's not gone. And I don't believe that's a way to think of it when people are like, oh, the old me, like, no, I'm still here. <laughs> she's still <laughs> in there, but it's about having control over those situations. And I still feel like I am in, an incredibly sexual and kinky person, but now since not drinking and since not, yeah, since I've stopped taking drugs all the time, basically, it's very different. You kind of have to relearn all of those different behaviors, which you've been doing for such a long time. You know, I used to go out to fetish parties all the time. I used to work at fetish parties. I'd always, you know, had a few drinks in me and probably drugs is definitely drugs as well so I just wanted to talk about that I guess and open the dialogue up and basically yeah just instead of giving this really polished idea of what sobriety is and you know how I get up in the mornings and how I feel great it's not like that all the time and I'm still really gross and there are still days when I just want to go (laughs) go mad and you know go on a rampage but it's more just about me talking about how I deal with it now and that was kind of the beginning of the devil's guide to sobriety podcast really did it take you a while to realize that you didn't need drugs and drink to become because I think a lot of people myself included can totally understand that like having a couple of drinks inside you you know doing whatever is something that helps you to become a little bit more confident about yourself and I think there's going to be a lot of people listening that are like, oh, I could never walk into a fetish club or a, a kinky place without having had a glass of wine at least beforehand. Did it take you a while before you could walk into those places? Or Well, I haven't actually been to a night or anything like that just because of COVID. So I'm a year and a half sober. So it was a weird time to give up anyway, but it just meant there's a lot of things that I haven't had to, exp- well, haven't got to experience. Like, well, do, you think, do you think that's helped? In some ways, yes. But I also think 
to go back to your original question, I found it a real struggle to begin with to get back in touch with my sexuality. Because I think for me, like you say, I'd have a couple of drinks. You get that Dutch courage, don't you? Feeling For me, alcohol, I found maybe incre- like hypersexual almost. And I've had a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Over, <laughs> like a lot of fun. But it's also, I associated all that deviant behavior you know, getting myself into certain situations, going to parties, being this like outrageously sexual person. I really associated that with drunk Jess. I used to call her the devil. I'd be like, oh, she's done this again. And, you know, I'd often refer to her as a different character. So to then realize that actually I'm still really sexual and it's not just a drunk or a drugs thing, it took, you really have to start to look inside and feel really sexually confident without those things. And that did take a while. And then I met someone and even that building that up within our relationship, because that's what you do. I mean, what I would do is go to a date would be like, you go to the pub, have a few drinks, pick up some Coke and then go home and fuck all night. And I I just didn't know what to do. I was like, how do I date? (laughs) How do you (laughs) date? Like normally, how do normal people do it? And it took a while, but I've definitely got there. Can I ask, um, and you don't have to answer if it's too personal, but why, why did you give up? I had to come to terms with the fact that I was an addict and I think that took quite a while. I always, I think because I'm going to be 30 this year, you know, throughout your 20s, people kind of like give you that, they were like, oh, it's just a phase or, you know, you're just a party girl. And I think I got to my mid 20s. I'd had some really traumatic stuff happen in my early 20s, a couple of deaths, which really affected me and kind of pushed me much more into that lifestyle. Then a couple of abusive relationships, which were awful, but fueled by drugs and alcohol mainly. Otherwise, I wouldn't have stayed in them. It just wouldn't have happened. And I think coming to terms with that and realizing, like waking up every weekend, you know, possibly in a stranger's bed on a roll through. I was like, I just didn't want to live that life anymore. I just wanted to feel like I was getting somewhere. And I felt so trapped in this cycle and especially with men. And I think that's what I focus on in the podcast as well. You know, I've done episodes about toxic relationships and those patterns of behavior and when I was drinking they just didn't seem to stop like nothing changed my life was not getting any better my relationships I was just going out with the same guy time after time expecting a different result and it just wasn't getting any better and then so I when I kind of realized that I'm an addict and that's just how it is then it kind of felt quite freeing because I felt like oh, I can do something about that. I can change that. And since the, uh, this is the first time in my life where I feel like I've had a healthy adult relationship ever. Oh, uh, and honestly, it's amazing. It's so already talking to you. You're going to be such a great counsellor. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> At what point did you think, right, I want to do, like you said, you were doing a podcast with someone else, but you wanted to do the one, uh, something that's a bit more, realistic and yeah, I course, guess, yeah. You know, yeah so where did this anti-dating idea come from because you said they there was like it was from an anti-dating book yeah so the original I've been writing a book for years and it was called the devil's guide to dating and it was basically <laughs> it, it, so, so I stopped wait off by was that your pissed persona guide <laughs> to dating basically about how I hated everyone how men were awful <laughs> and it was like I was like, I'm just, you know, how Cosmo do like 10 top tips to find the perfect man. Mine was like 
10 top tips to like never date a sociopath or a narcissist. <laughs> and I was like, I want to do this anti-dating book to warn all the horrible, you know, to warn people about the horrors of dating through my horrible existence of my dating life. It was very cynical and very angry. I read it back and I'm a bit like, fucking hell. <laughs> was that, but was that because you were drinking and was that because of the intoxication that and the toxic relationships that you formed because of that so that then formed the idea that everyone was terrible and awful yeah I mean I definitely felt like because I was an addict I attracted other addicts and narcissists and people who really struggled with their mental health who didn't have the capability to look after me in a way that I would have liked to have been treated and probably vice versa like I'm no angel and that's kind of what I wanted to get across as well like I'm not the best you know I was a fucking shitty person for a a long time and it was all I was very self-involved it was all about me and I didn't really have the capacity to even open myself up to those kind of relationships so I was stuck in this rut of picking these people and literally my friends would be like how have you found another one like how? <laughs> it's your gift yeah exactly how, like, the how fucking, have you done that? like the weirdest grossest person in the pub who's got like a polo and like falling over I'd be like oh they, they look fit and my friends would be <laughs> like is. please stop like just please like we love you like this is so hard to watch and so it kind of started in that way, just writing notes about it and writing about my experiences and my breakups and how awful they were. And then when I started to do the podcast, that's where the kind of name came from. And that's where it changed. So I've still been writing the book, but it's from a different narrative now. And it's still, in essence, a dating book, but more about the mistakes I've made and how maybe they can be avoided or maybe identifying certain behaviors and that's mm. what I had to do, really. I had to look at my life mm. and be like, there's a reason that I keep going out with these horrible, toxic people. Mm. It's me. <laughs> and to <laughs> responsibility for that, really. We'll ask um, a bit more about the pod in a minute in terms of who you've had on and what kind of subjects you cover. And I know you talk about it, um, you know, it's the highs and lows of getting sober in your, in, in your um, 20s. And it's... Um, you know, there's, it's quite dark. There's some dark stuff there. But can I ask something again, if this is too cheeky, but I think that this, I think this could be a good question. Miranda, write it down just in case it is. If it's not, it's never <laughs> happened. We just said it out, right? I can get the, um, how sex would feel different emotionally without booze and drugs. Um, does it feel different physically? Completely different. Yeah. Does it? It does because most, I mean, for me, I can't come when I'm drunk. I don't know about a lot of women, but I find that it's really difficult. I'll still have a great time. Don't get me wrong. But especially under the influence of drugs and alcohol, it's very difficult to orgasm, I find anyway. And I've spoken to a lot of people who have similar experiences with that. But it's, I think with alcohol, because you're either picking people that you might not even have a connection with, you might not even fancy when you're drunk, you might just be, at, you know, at the end of the night and think he'll do or they'll do or <laughs> and just take them home. So it's and it gives you that anonymity of being like, oh, I was just really drunk or like, oh, do you know, like, oh, yeah, it gives you an excuse, basically. And you can almost black out certain parts of it or be in a blackout and hardly remember it. So the physical intimacy is completely different because you probably aren't connecting with that person. Whereas sober, there's no fucking around. There's no distractions. And it's like, you're doing it. You're looking at that person. You're kissing that person. You're feeling them. And you're not drunk and you're not high and you're not sweating. You know what I mean? It's, it's a completely different experience. And I think it's something I really had to get used to because I don't think 
I'd really experienced having sober sex. Maybe, I mean, in relationships, yes, but most of the time I was under the influence, I would say. So it was compl- it was like starting from square one again. If you think about it and think about dating, you know, especially nowadays, it's like, yeah, you go to the pub and you get drunk and you have sex and you do that a few more times. And that's kind of how people date. So it's yeah, yeah difficult to reset all of that. And also like to meet people, I guess, you know, for for a lot of people, they think, right, well, I like to go to a club, you know, because I think the whole Internet dating bubble has kind of burst. We're all a bit over it. So they might be thinking, oh, I'd like to go to a pub or a club and and meet someone. Obviously not at the moment, but it's, it's kind of like hard to do that when you're when you're trying to be sober, I guess, like. I mean, I'm just talking because I I run events. So it's like I know that loads of people go there because they want to meet someone, you know, there and then. So it's kind of like I'm always in awe of the people who can remain sober all night. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I remember when I first got sober and someone said to me, they were like, you're going to clean up at AA, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, you know, we're, we're all just a bit like you know, just a room full of addicts and you can't drink and you can't take drugs. So they're all just on heat all the time. I was like, okay. That is so hilarious. I was like, that's Does good. It, if you've got an addictive personality, have have you been worried a bit about becoming a sex addict? Yeah, I mean, I definitely find it's something that I struggle with. I have to check in with myself about that, you know, because it's so easy to replace one thing with another. And it's something I've kind of had to talk to my partner about as well, who I'm with at the moment, who I would say has a pretty normal sex drive and mine can go through the roof. And I have to remind him that like I am in recovery. It is difficult sometimes to kind of that addict behavior. I really have to look at myself, but I've found in the past that that's been a massive issue. I've most of the time I've had higher sex drives than my partners, you know, I've yeah dated and dated couples and been in and out of like the polyamorous scene and the fetish scene and stuff like that but yeah it's it's something you really have to look in yourself and sort of see that as well especially and you have to communicate that if you're in a relationship you can't just sit on that you do have to have those uncomfortable conversations and compromise with your partner which I think people find really difficult me and Miranda find that difficult you describe the pod as x-rated right what kind of subjects do you cover? What kind of people have you interviewed? Because we've so you, we've talked about sex in relation to recovery, so that, and that's, that's that is super interesting. What other stuff do you cover? The theme is sobriety, but also, I mean, I've interviewed my boss, who you know as well, Tim Tim Richardson. Tim. Shout out, um, hello, Tim. And you know, so different people who are in recovery, but people who are sober curious, and we just talk about their lives a lot of the time. So it can cover a lot of different things, whether it's sex drugs relationships past trauma you know I kind of cover a range some of them are really funny some of them aren't so funny you know and it's just people talking about their experiences with drugs and alcohol and with each person the story can completely range you know one of them I got on my best friend for a tasting of loads of non-alcoholic drinks and then we just talked about how we both used to share ourselves in public when we were really drunk so it really ranges oh my god like serious to ridiculous quite quickly <laughs> i'm going to say something i hate when people like if if, if you write something yourself was, was it cathartic and and often it is and often it's not and there's often there's there's lots of reasons why one would put themselves out there with personal especially personal stuff what what was your aim to put your stuff out there and what's your aim for the pod 
So initially, I just wanted to give a bit more visibility to people who are young and like trying to get sober or in recovery because I just found it was either AA or kind of not very much else. And I don't have a problem with AA. And I think the group works so well for a lot of people. And I think there's a lot of messages from AA, which I really incorporate into my day-to-day life, like one day at a time. And the group therapy that they do, I think is great, but it's not for everyone. And I just found that there there weren't people talking about it. There weren't people talking about getting sober in your 20s and how difficult it is and how you're meant to go out and have a social life. But then be questioned why you're not drinking and taking drugs, especially in Brighton. I'm from here. It's like a, the place is made for partying. And I just wanted to feel like people, yeah, people had something to listen to that they could understand that was truthful, that was honest. I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm not making it out like I've got this amazing life now. Yeah, there are loads of parts of my life which are so much better, but there are struggles. There are, you know, issues with mental health and anxiety and being in public spaces where you want to go out and it's so difficult and also giving up drugs a lot of podcasts don't I find it difficult to get you know they don't always focus on drugs it's either booze or drugs and I wanted to just give a really really honest perception of what it was like and that's kind of what I want to do you know I'm not trying to make the podcast famous or get loads and loads of followers it's more just about the people who do listen to it just feeling less alone And that's the response that I've got from so many people have messaged me going, I've actually made loads of friends from people messaging me who were like, please, can we go out for coffee? You know, it's so nice to hear that I'm not the only one going through this. And even just one message would have been enough, but they just keep on coming and coming. And that's, that's why I'm doing it really to help people and obviously help myself. Like you say, there's something very cathartic about owning all your shit and then but yeah, using it as a tool to help other people. Do you think there's going to be more of a challenge once lockdown is over? What you and mean for me be... personally? Uh, both for you and the and people listening to the pod. Yeah, I mean, I've I would say it's been difficult for me personally just because the Brighton Festival is around at the moment. The fringe is here. It's hard. It's really hard. Uh, you know, we had the pubs open a bit last year and. I struggled with that, but it is like a whole new ball game. It's kind of like the training wheels are off now. But in terms of the podcast, I mean, I'm just going to keep on going. And, you know, we do have kind of loyal followers who listen in each week. Not huge amounts, you know, but there's still people who message and tell me each week they've loved the episodes. And that's, you know, I'll just keep on going until I run out of people to interview, to be honest. (laughs) I think it honestly, I think it sounds brilliant. And that whole thing of it's I think it's an incredible feeling, an incredible thing that you're doing that for someone the fact that it's resonating with people is because you've kept it real deal. My friend Anna Goodman says that she describes things as real deal. And I think that's such a huge compliment because I, I hate the Instagram kind of, you know, you've got this kind of bullshit, you know, it's, it's, it, it's reductive and it's anodyne and it's not true. And it, it, I think it's a bit of an insult to any of the struggle or anything that someone's feeling. And the fact that you're talking about the struggles, I absolutely think it's brilliant. And also that you're doing it for younger people on when, um, I went to Al-Anon at a young age and I, my issue with Al-Anon was, it, which is um, for kind of friends and family of alcoholics. It's like a, the AA for, for people like that. And I was too young or people were too old and I didn't relate and I didn't stay and I should have stayed. So I think what you're doing is incredible. I'm really, it's, I think it sounds brilliant. And even just talking to you, I think I can't wait to hear it. So give us, give us a few of the people that have been on it and then tell us where we can find it. So a few of the people, so I've had, yeah, I've had my best friend on it. 
I've had Tim, my boss. I've had Jamie Dimmock, who he was amazing, actually, because he's a musician and he goes on touring and goes to Boomtown sober, which for me, I was like, how? How do you possibly <laughs> do festivals sober? I've had friends on. I've had my friend Joanna on who's, yeah, everyone's got their own story. That's the thing. Everyone's mm. got their own kind of perception. But I think mm. I'm on episode 14 now. But yeah, it's just been people who I know, like close friends, people in Brighton. You should maybe, I'm not saying what's stupid. I think a, a, a good idea would be someone who's been around alcoholism. But it's a whole different um, kind of conversation, but it could be really interesting. Yeah, definitely. For, for, for both sides. Um, so, where, so where can we find you in the podcast? So you can find me on Spotify, iTunes, and I've got my social media up on Instagram, which is Devil's Guide to Sobriety. And you can find me there. Um, Miranda, I'm going to ask this on your behalf. Jess, I hope, I hope you know the, um, the losers that you dated. Do you still have their numbers? <laughs> I mean, I have a block list with their numbers. <laughs> Let's, keep Let's keep Fax them on it. Let's keep them on that No, I don't think that's fair to any. I wouldn't do that to my worst enemy, to be honest. <laughs> oh, come on. No, which is why you definitely should do it to Bibi. Yeah. <laughs> she does Jess- deserve it. I totally deserve it. More than that. Uh, Jess, good luck with the pod. It sounds absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely to chat. Oh, Miri, what did you think? That was so interesting. And uh, it's always fascinating to talk to people about, like, because I, I think so many people, like I said, can relate to wanting to have a bit of Dutch courage or, um, you know, or drugs, like whatever it takes to get yourself, you know, to go to a club or to meet someone or even just to, to have a date. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who have rethought that over the pandemic or, you know, or are just going to go absolutely ballistic on it <laughs> when we're all allowed out again. It is weird, isn't it? It's like that, yeah, that whole, I mean, every date is around, even just a glass of wine, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every date is around that. So it's a really, I guess it's a great litmus test though, isn't it? You know, you're kind of really saying, okay, I actually do like that person, where it's not just that, you know, the baby sham talking. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Jess. I thought she was really, that whole thing, like that real deal, and really um, honest about it. And I think the podcast sounds brilliant. I think it sounds brilliant. Um, oh, you'll never guess what. Well, my name is Bibi Lynch. <laughs> I'm Randy Kane. Good Sex, Bad Sex was produced by Juliet Nichols for Metro.co.uk. And you can get in touch with us uh, Twitter, Instagram. We're all at Good Sex, Bad Sex. Just type it in, you'll find us. And you can slide into our DMs if you've got a guest suggestion or want to come on the show yourself. I don't want any DM action. <laughs> I really do. You do. Um, that's I such do. a I really lie. Do. I really do. You love um, it. Listen to uh, Jess's pod. I really I, um, highly recommend it. Uh, take care, everyone, and we will see you next week. <laughs>